Open your Bible to Galatians 6. May we pray together. Our Father, we ask that the Lord would be honored and glorified as we study the Word again this morning. May the Holy Spirit do His work of conviction and draw men and women and boys and girls to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word share with him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they them, themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Henceforth let no man trouble you, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, Brethren, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. There are at least five admonitions in this closing chapter of Galatians. Galatians is primarily a book written by the Apostle Paul to that group of churches in southern Turkey, churches he had visited on his first and third missionary journeys and on his second missionary journey. The churches at Derby, Iconium, Lystra, those churches. Galatia originally was a northern region, but in the upheavals of the government and the political empires, the region of Galatia was stretched down into the south country and included those churches that Paul had visited on his missionary journeys and where he had founded the churches. And so he's writing to them. Now you remember that Paul preached the simple, pure word of the gospel, that we're saved 
by grace through faith. Nothing added, nothing subtracted. We're not saved by grace through church membership or grace plus baptism or grace plus a good life or grace plus living certain way. If we're saved at all, we're saved by grace. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing, but all the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king, and I shall tell the story saved by grace. And so the Judaizers, who believed it was all right to trust Christ as your Savior, but that wasn't enough. You had to add to that certain works of the law. In that day, namely, the Jewish law of circumcision. They said, it is well enough to trust Jesus. And he died for us on the cross. But that is not sufficient for your salvation. In order to become a Christian, you also have to submit to the Jewish law. They were called Judaizers. Today, we have groups like that. They teach that you're saved by grace plus works. It's all right to trust Christ as your Savior. But in addition to that, you have to add to it certain things. Now, I believe in standards. I believe it is God's will that God's people live according to God's plan. The same Paul that wrote Galatians wrote Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, save people by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. But Paul never one time said you had to do that to be saved. You do that because you are saved. You don't love your parents so they will be your parents. You love your parents because they are your parents. You don't serve Jesus so you will be his servant. You serve Jesus because you are his servant and you love him and you're saved. And so that was the message Paul was preaching in Galatians. He was talking to them about that. Now he closes the book with five admonitions. And let me give them to you quickly. Number one, restore the overtaken. Number two, relate to those who are burdened. Number three, remember the law. Number four, redouble your commitment when faced with quititis. And number five, royalty belongs only to Christ and Him crucified. Now listen to his message. Brethren, and that immediately signifies he's talking about saved people, those of us who are saved. Everybody is our neighbor, but only those who are saved are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family, a family of God. And he says, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Immediately he launches into this question, what do you do when somebody sins? 
Now there are some who want to immediately jump on them with all four feet and squash them when they're down, put their thumb on them and push them down when they're down. Paul said, brethren, if any of you, God's people, be overtaken in a fault, in some sin, ye which are spiritual. Now he was not saying, he was not organizing a special spiritual club or a holy club and saying, look, this group can do this. The rest of you just ignore it, but this group over here can do this. He's saying those who are spiritual, that is those who are saved. And those who allow the Holy Spirit to control their lives. You which are spiritual. And you test your spirituality at this point. You who are spiritual. Restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness. Considering yourself lest you also be tempted. How do you deal with those who sin? What do you do with them? You push them out. You squash them. Push them down. I believe there is such a thing as church discipline. In our own way of handling it, Glendale Baptist Church, we ask a committee of our deacons to minister to a person over a period of six months, earnestly trying to restore that person. I believe this is God's plan. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Don't gossip about them. Don't treat them with meanness or honoriness or ugliness. Do your best to restore them. They are alike sinner as we. And he said, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Every one of us is tempted. There's not a one person in this room who is above Satan's temptation. And so, Paul said, here's how you deal with those who are overtaken and overwhelmed in a fault. You which are spiritual, restore such a one. Try your best to bring them back. Not in their sin, but from their sin. The church doesn't get any glory. God doesn't get any glory out of God's people sinning. Or our ignoring sin. We have to deal with it. But you deal with it the way the Holy Spirit said to deal with it, trying your best to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Then he said, relate to those who are burdened. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. Every one of us has burdens. Sometimes we have a burden that's so heavy, we can't hardly carry it. The other day I was carrying something here. I've forgotten what it was. We were taking down the tree and so on. And the thing was so heavy. And another one of our men came along and said, let me help you. And two of us carried it. Didn't have much trouble at all. Bear ye one another's burdens. And he's not just talking about heavy pieces of metal or wood. He's talking about the heartaches that come. And beloved, if heartaches haven't come to you, they're on their way. If you haven't had any trouble, it's on its way to you. It's coming. And this scripture says that we're to bear one another's burdens. 
You find somebody that's overwhelmed, somebody that's heavily weighted down with some burden. God's people, called by His name, especially in the church, we're to bear each other's burdens. Somebody weeps, we weep with them. Somebody rejoices, we rejoice with them. I love to hear about new little babies being born. Sometimes they get born and go back home before I even know it. If they tell me ahead of time or in time, I try to get to the hospital and just rejoice in that little life. And uh, often, I have a little testament. I try to give that little baby, just newborn baby, the first Bible he has. I rejoice with those who rejoice. All of us do. We have a cradle roll department, a nursery department. And when they learn about a little baby being born, they go to that home and they rejoice. And our nursery is one of the finest ministries our church has. And I want to tell you, it's an honor to serve in the nursery. None of us should say, well, I had my baby years ago and I'm old now and I'm not going to do anything with the nursery. Some of the finest people in our church are in their 60s and 70s and they help in the nursery. God bless you. God bless you. Let it never be said, those 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, I had my babies years ago, I ain't going to do nothing about it now. Thank God when somebody calls on you to go and help in that wonderful time, the first few years of a little child's life. That's a burden. If you've forgotten that it's a burden, go ask some of the moms and dads. They hardly own up to it. But if they will really be honest, it's a burden to have children. It's a burden for the first nine months. It's a burden for the next 18 years. And after that, it's a heartache. And so we need to share one another's burdens. Somebody has a death. We need to extend our love and our care and our concern. Not because somebody tells us to do it, but because God says that's the way Christians will be. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Then he says, every man must bear his own burden. Now, there's no exemption from that. We're going to have burdens. We can get mad at God about them. We can shake our fist in God's face. We can say, this is too heavy for me. I'm going to quit. But the Bible says, bear your own burden. When that burden comes... Know that it's coming and accept it and know that the Lord will help us with a burden. There hath no temptation or burden come to you but such as is common to man. And God will not allow you to be burdened or tempted above that you're able to endure. Now, the Holy Spirit goes on a little bit further. He says, now, don't, don't only... Don't just relate to the overtaker, the one that's overtaken. And don't, don't just restore him, but remember the law. Now here, it gets down where the rubber hits the soil. He says, remember this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That is a law written in the very constitution of the universe. You sow beans, you're going to reap beans. You sow corn, you're going to reap corn. You sow peas, you're going to reap peas. 
You put a little potato in the ground, you're going to reap some potatoes. You sow wheat, you're going to reap wheat. How on earth can we think we can sow sin and not reap the results of sin? You're going to do it. You sow promiscuity in your sex life, and you're going to reap the result of it. I didn't say it. You can't say the preacher's picking on me. That's what God says. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth that shall also reap. America is reaping a terrible harvest today. In 1963 and 64, we threw the absolutes out. We said we cannot put on the school wall anymore, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. Well, that's religious. Let the churches do that, but you can't do that in school. And they've tried to subtract the law of God from a world that God made by laws and operate by laws. And when you do that, you reap the result. The scripture speaks of sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. You sow promiscuity, you'll reap the result of it. My heart goes out to young people. They're faced with more temptations than any generation of Americans have ever faced. I think it's because of the sex revolution started by Elvis Presley, the rock music, and the drugs. They all go together. You say, preacher, you're really old-fashioned. Yes, I am. But rock music and the drug culture all go together, and they have fostered living together before you get married. So we have a whole generation that comes up like that, and they don't really know any different. I go to houses after house, and here are people living together, no shame. They say, this is my husband, I mean, this is my boyfriend, so-and-so, and they have two or three children in the home, and so on. I rejoice when they let me marry them. I want them to get married. If they're going to live together, they need to be married. I'm not there to judge them. I'm not there to look down my nose at them or squash them when they're down. I encourage them to get married. It's a sad thing, though, that we have a lot of young people today who don't even live together loyally. They have one or two or three or four night stands, then they move on to another partner. Or when a boy asks a girl for a date, she immediately thinks she's going to have a sex situation that night. And a lot of boys are embarrassed by that. When an old boy asks a girl for a date, sometimes that's all he wants. And if she has any kind of spiritual sensitivity, she'd slap him over and walk out on him. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians chapter 5 speaks 
of sexual immorality, false worship, broken relationships, sins of intemperance. Listen to this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, verse 19, chapter 5, verse 19. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, wrath, factions, seditions, harassings, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the like of which I told you before, as I have told you in time past, that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What he is saying is, if this is your characteristic manner of life, you better check up on whether you're saved or not. Broken relationships, intemperance, sexual immorality, all these things Paul lists as works of the flesh. They come under this eternal law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Now listen. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when there's an infraction in any of these areas, you have to sow, you have to reap what you've sowed. But, Remember what verse 1 says. If any of you be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If you're going to restore somebody and help somebody who is down in sin or in temperance or drunkenness or any of these other things, you can't throw it up to them all the time. If you've had an infraction in your marriage home, in your married life, and a wife has been unfaithful to her husband, or a husband been unfaithful to his wife, and then by the grace of God, they forgive each other. Beloved, to be forgiven means that you don't bring it up over and over again. You don't just keep pushing it in their face. You forgive them, else you're going to push them to the point where they'll not be able to be to you a married partner. That's just the facts of life. And this has to be spoken to in a time like this because there's a lot of it that's gone on. And it's gone on among Christians. David, come up here a minute. We'll use him as an illustration. Stand here a minute. Now suppose this man, I, I respect him and love him. He's a precious young man. God, I think God's called him to preach. Plays an instrument. Maybe he'll play tonight in the service. But now suppose David sins. And then we get together and pray and he asks God to forgive him. And God forgives him. Am I supposed the rest of his life say, Dave, you remember that sin you did? Remember that sin? I keep throwing it up to him. Am I supposed to do that? You vote on it. Should I do that? Yes or no? Put your hands where you think I should. Put your hands up if you think I shouldn't. All right, David, you go sit down. Court, 
is dismissed. That's correct. Same thing is true in a husband-wife relationship. Don't keep throwing it up. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Remember the law. Whatsoever you sow, you'll reap. You'll never get away from that law. It's there. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says that. Let me go on. He says, redouble your commitment when you face the temptation to quit. Look in verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Lots of people have quit before they had victory. Babe Ruth holds the world's records for striking out. But he also, until Hank Aaron came along, held the world's record of home runs. They tell us that the man who invented electricity failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. But he didn't quit. Kept on working, tinkering. We have electricity today. Lots of people get discouraged. They get the quititis. I've taught this Sunday school class for a long, long time. I'm going to quit. Or I used to sing in the choir, but there are some people that don't come to choir practice. So I'm going to quit. Or I used to come to church regularly, but I came one day and two or three people didn't speak to me. They were high-hatting me, so I'm quitting. Beloved, if you're doing it for people, it's the wrong reason. If you're doing it for him, he didn't quit. And this scripture says, let us not be weary in well-doing. In doing right, keep on keeping on. You don't quit. God's people don't quit. They just keep on, on and on and on. Columbus crossed the Atlantic. The men grew mutinous day by day. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to throw him overboard. He said, sail on, sail on, sail on. And they founded this area of the world. Don't quit. And then he says, Royalty belongs only to Christ. Listen to this. Verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We don't glory in applause, nor get defeated in criticism. We have to be dumb to doubts and dead to impossibilities. You can't keep on going because everybody speaks well of you. If that's what you're trying to do, then you're going to get to a point where you'll quit because everybody's going to speak well of you. How many in this room don't have an enemy in the world? Lift your hand. You've probably got some enemies if you stand for anything. I heard people go around boasting, well, boy, I ain't got no enemies. That just says something about you. 
Dr. R.G. Lee preached for over 60 years, preached here when he was 90. He said, if when I have, they have my funeral, if that preacher gets up and says, there lies dear old Dr. Lee, he didn't have an enemy in the world. He said, I'm going to ask God for the strength to kick the lid off that casket and get up and say, that's a lie. Anybody that stands for anything has some enemies. And Paul is saying, your glory has to be in Christ and in Him crucified. Not in what people think about you or say about you. God forbid that I should glory in anything but Jesus. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time. And then he closes it by saying, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I have the stigmata. Now, I don't know what all that meant. I think it meant he had been flogged many times. He had the bruised marks where he'd been stoned and whipped and lashed and been in and out of prison. He didn't live a long life. Best I can understand, he died in his early 60s. Paul, great man of God, he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I have honored him. I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. How about you and me? We're closing this study of Galatians by just reminding ourselves that we need to bear in our body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The only way that can happen is, first of all, for us to know him, receive him into our hearts, know him as our Savior. And if he's our Savior, then live for him. If you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, open your heart to Christ. This is God's day. If you've been saved but have not been baptized, you ought to come take a stand for the Lord today. May we stand as we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study the Bible. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to every heart. And those who are without Christ, help them to come to Jesus. May God's hand be on the closing moments of this hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.